Now we're drawing down to a close on our study of the abundant Christian life. And this morning, our study takes the form of a testimony. Many of you have heard before uh, this testimony that I would give, but I want to repeat it. I think probably that in many cases, this would be the missing ingredient. The missing ingredient in abundant Christian living. And we want to start off by asking a question, and the question would be this. Did Jesus enjoy the abundant Christian life? Let's put that question up here too. In His earthly ministry, and in His life here upon the earth, did Jesus enjoy the abundant Christian life? Now we know from Isaiah 53 that He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But we also know that uh, on an occasion He was talking with the disciples in John 15, the vine and the branches passage, and He tells them, As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Now remain in My love. If you obey My commands... You will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. But listen to this next verse, 11. I have told you this so that your joy may be full, my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Now that word for full, pleroo, means filled up. It's taken from the metaphor of a jar or some kind of vessel that's filled with liquid water or something else, and it's filled up to the brim. And it's used by Jesus in His parable on the kingdom of God being like a net that's thrown out and it gathers all kind of fish and they sort the fish. But that net is full, and that's the word used here. Your joy will be full. That sounds like an abundant life to me. If we have the fullness of the joy of Christ in our lives. And of course we see back in Psalm 16 that in His presence is fullness of joy. So I'm suggesting that Christ was the quintessential model of abundant Christian living. He had agape love flowing out of His life. And anytime you have agape love in your heart, that's going to mean joy. A joy for you, as in Christ's case, joy that's going to be spilling out on others as He ministered to them, I'm suggesting that Jesus did live the abundant Christian life. So if He lived the abundant Christian life, I want to look carefully at His life and see if there's anything there that might be missing in my life. What do you think the ingredient is going to be? I'm going to suggest it's going to be. Now I have to tell you that the application of what we're talking about this morning is varied. There are many different ways to apply what we're going to be talking about. When I was a young man, about 30 years of age, I knew there was something missing in my life. Yvonne and I had just left the family business in a small town, and we had moved to a large town. And I was working at a church and a Christian school, and there were more students and more people 
and the students had a lot of things on their mind and more challenges, and we were living a very busy life. And frankly, I kind of ran out of fuel, and I was pouring out of an empty cup, so to speak. I didn't know exactly what it was that was missing in my life, but I felt like there was something missing. I didn't think it was knowledge that was missing because I knew a lot more than I was doing. I was in seminary. I had read some books. I would studied some books. I went to seminars and conferences and listened to good Bible teaching every Sunday, so it wasn't a lack of knowledge on my part. But somehow I didn't seem to have the spiritual stamina to get that stuff into action in my life in such a way that it was going to produce what Christ said it would produce. One thing would be the peace that passes all understanding. Now, I was pretty heavy on doing. Oh, I was doing all kinds of things. I was gone every day and every night, and Sunday was really a busy day. And things were kind of lean at home. We had two little children at that time, and things just weren't working out the way I thought it should. Have you ever heard that? Anybody ever tell you through the years? Things are just not working out right. My marriage is not working. My job is not working out like I thought it would be. My spiritual life is lacking. That happens to be the case with a number of people. Because as we said when we began, many people live the Christian life, but not all people live an abundant Christian life. Some people are just kind of scraping through and hoping for the best. I had a devotion time every day, but it was get up early in the morning. Not every day, but I tried to have one. And it was maybe uh, 20 minutes. I've got to get out of here. I'm in a hurry. I've got to get to early morning Bible study or prayer meeting or something uh, going on. So it was click, click, get it done. Bam, that's it. We're gone. My strategy at the church and the school was work harder. Get it done. You can do it. You may have to pick up the pace a little bit. So the Lord enabled me to do that. And I really, I needed a rake for about every three weeks raking up all the new leaves that I turned over. I probably needed a power leaf blower at that time. So I had uh, been praying uh, at that time. Um, sometimes we uh, talk about moving along in quiet desperation. But mine was getting to be a loud desperation. And we said before, desperate men will do desperate deeds and pray desperate prayers. So one day I prayed a prayer. Lord, do whatever it takes in our lives to make us the people that You want us to be. That is a rather dangerous prayer. (laughs) But the Lord will take you up on that. And lo and behold, He did several things, but one important thing that He did was to send a man to our church. Now we had many people coming through our church, men and women, women giving a testimony and just uh, amazing speakers from everywhere. And this one guy wasn't a big name speaker. I don't remember his name today, but he was a navigator fella. And those guys were pretty sincere about living the Christian life. And so he gave a message. And he said, you need to do what Jesus did. And I wondered, what, what is he going to say? What is he talking about? And so I, he, he said that um, 
Jesus did a certain thing in his life, and that didn't register in my mind immediately as anything really outstanding. I mean, it was something that I already knew. Now, I'd been taught very well what the confession says. Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being very equal, being very an eternal God, of one substance and equal with the Father. And when the fullness of time came, He took upon Him a man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin. Now, the question that I would ask this morning is, was Jesus being equal with God what gave Him an abundant life? Well, I don't think that was the key because in Philippians 2, we see that He emptied Himself and took the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. And He didn't empty Himself of His divine attributes. He still had love and compassion and all those things. But He emptied Himself of His manner of existence in heaven, of that existence as the ruler of the universe. He came down here as a person, one of us, to serve, and He placed Himself under the law to fulfill the law. And He did fulfill the law perfectly. So there must have been something else in His life that enabled Him to live this abundant Christian life. I mean, there were many things, but this seems to be a more important thing, a larger factor in His life. Here's what it was. He invested a lot of time with the Heavenly Father. Now somebody said, oh, I knew that. We, right, but are we doing it? Well, that's what I had to ask myself that day. He invested a lot of time with His Heavenly Father because I believe He was living the Christian life as a testimony to the same way that we live the Christian life. Why did Jesus pray all the time? I think He prayed all the time because He needed the grace in His life to be able to do the things that God called on Him to do, the Father called on Him to do, to walk this life. Now, if you think about the scorn and the ridicule and the contempt and the torture and everything that Jesus went through, both mental, emotional, and physical, then if He has joy in His life, He must have some secret that's really not a secret, but an ingredient, ingredient that produces these things in His life. A private ministry of prayer. Now, He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. When He's in human form, He's not omnipresent, but He knows what's going on all around. But He's living this Christian life in the same way that we are supposed to be living. And that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now some people would say, well, he's just a mystic. He just liked to be alone and liked to be out there wandering in the wilderness. But I don't think that's it at all. I think he was setting an example for us. We have the same power that was available to him. He's sitting at the right hand throne of God. We do see amazing miracles at three particular periods in Scripture. So we don't always see the healings and the amazing walking on water and those things, but we do have the power 
of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God has for us in our lives today. You remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil. He had power to resist that. And we might say, well, it didn't look like much for temptation to me, but we hadn't been fasting for 40 days. Uh, it was probably uh, something to consider for him. Well, there's really only one way you can get that power. You remember that Simon, the sorcerer, tried to buy the power in Acts 8. And Peter got on his case pretty quickly about that. The only way you get the power is the way Jesus got the power. You get the power from the Father through the Holy Spirit as you invest in the means of grace. And this means of grace that we're talking about this morning would be some extended time in fellowship with the Father. Now, how many of you have uh, had in the past or have now one of these bracelets? You have one of those? Yes. What would Jesus do? Well, we're going to change that a little bit for our purposes this morning. And we're going to ask the question, what did Jesus do? And so let's just put that up here. Let's say, what did Jesus do in times like these? And we'll look at some things that came up in his life and see if we have any of those things in our lives. So let's... Um, Take a look at some scripture verses and we'll just put here in times of and we will list some of those beginning with number one. Now let's uh, read a verse here. Jeffrey, do you have uh, number one? Good, read it loud there. Okay, that's Luke 4.1. This is the beginning of Christ's public ministry. And he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there, we know, of the devil. Now, we don't know precisely what was going on during those 40 years, excuse me, 40 days. But I've got a pretty good idea of what was going on there. Matthew Henry had the same idea, but he had it first. Let me tell you what he had to say. We may suppose that he, Jesus, was wholly taken up in proper meditation and in consideration of his own undertaking and the work he had before him, that he spent all his time in immediate, intimate converse with his Father, as Moses in the mount, without any diversion, distraction, or interruption. We do know the result of his conversing with the Father. And I think that's what he was doing there during that 40 days in the wilderness. Verse 14, following in that same passage that Jeffrey read, says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. In other words, the grace of God was upon Him after that 40 days, and He came back with the power that He needed to begin this new season in His life. So, in times of a new season of life. And it might be marriage. 
It might be a young person growing up looking at vocation, location, education, lifestyle, marriage, ministry. It might be um, young people getting married. That would be a new season of life. It might be the empty nest syndrome. It might be a family where little bitty children have grown up into older children and a lot of decisions have to be made. So we're talking about a new season of life. Anybody here experiencing a new season of life? Okay, next time in times like these. I want to ask Wayne if he would read Mark 1, 35. Okay, I'm writing something up here, and we'll see the connection. Christ had been in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he came home to the home of Peter and Andrew, and Peter's mother-in-law had an illness, and Christ healed her. And she got up and began to wait on everybody, and the Word got around the town, and everybody began to come to... Peter and Andrew's home to hear what this amazing man had to say and perhaps to get healed. Well, the next morning, as Wayne read, early, 4.30 Palestine time, Jesus went out to a lonely place and He prayed. Peter got up, had his breakfast, heard some noise outside, went outside and there was the whole town gathered to get in on some of that revival that they had seen the night before. And so Peter evidently knew where Christ might be, and he found him there, out there somewhere praying. I don't, a great while before day, I don't know how many hours that gives you over there. But at any rate, he knew where he was, and he went. And he said, Christ, the whole town is here. Jesus probably called him Jesus. The whole town is here waiting for you. And what do you think Jesus said? He didn't say what I would have said. I would have said, well, let me get my Bible and get on down. That's what I'm waiting to see. There's a big crowd of people that want to hear something about uh, how living for God. But Jesus said, well, let's go on to the next village because that's why I came. That's my mission. We preached the gospel to those people last night. Now we've got to go on to the next place for the next service that he's going to have. So we're thinking about establishing right priorities. And we're faced with that all the time in our lives. If you're looking to establish right priorities, I would encourage you to remember Matthew 6:33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Now, I'm not saying that it's that easy as just speaking it to be able to do it. But when we are investing that time with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, we get a new means of grace to be able to see things, choose things, do the hard things, all that sort of stuff. Okay, let's go to another passage here now. This is Luke 6, 12 and 13, number 3. Jesus has something very important coming up in His life the next day. And so he goes out to have a little prayer meeting. Luke six, twelve and thirteen. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain. 
disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Okay. Times of decision making. Important decision. Do you have any decisions coming up? If you have a family, you certainly have decisions all along. And here's Christ. He goes out for a little prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting lasts all night long. Because these are the guys upon whom this new international movement are going to be, upon them, this responsibility will be placed. And they're going to be the ones after Christ has departed back into heaven who carry out the mission of the new church. So this is a very important decision. Now, amazingly, Christ chose one who would unwittingly become the means of orchestrating God's plan for the atonement of the world. So if you come to a dark day, don't necessarily feel that you didn't pray long enough. Of course, you might not have prayed at all. And that would be a problem. But Christ prayed all night and still chose one who was a traitor. I think he probably knew about that at that time. But it's an interesting thought. Well, let's go to number four. And this would be in Luke 5. Not everything is chronological here, but Luke 5 and verse 15. Okay, great multitudes were coming. He's becoming very popular because of what he could do for the people. So he's got uh, intense ministry going on in his life. You probably know that any ministry in the name of the Lord can become intense because of the enemy. Even ministry to your own family in the family worship time. But if you're out there naming the name of Christ, it can get intense in a hurry. And with Christ, it became intense and He goes out on the mountain to pray. Now, I probably would have um, decided I needed to sleep late that day instead of heading out into the wilderness to pray. But this says here, He would often slip away to the wilderness. That word often is not in the Greek text, but in the New American Standard, you will find it there because the structure of the Greek language calls for the fact that this was something that he often did. And we'll see that again in just a moment. Okay, he's got his priorities in order. He's making some decisions. Time of intense ministry. And now we come to number five, which would be John six fifteen. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain into a mountain himself alone. Okay. Stress and exhaustion. They were going to take him by force and make him the bread machine queen, king. In fact, uh, this was right after the 5,000 were fed. And so people really got fired up and thought, hey, we won't have to suffer any deprivation. Christ can just make food. He can heal the sick. He can do it all. And so we want to make Him the King of the land. If He can do all that, He ought to be able to knock out the Romans. 
And so here we go. And he departed alone into a mountain himself. Now, what do you think he was doing when he departed alone into a mountain? Maybe he was meditating on the cross. Perhaps he just needed a quiet time to do some thinking. Maybe he was listening to his father. But in the companion passage of that in Matthew, we're told exactly what he was doing. Let's read Matthew 14 and verse 23. Okay, He was praying. That's what he went out there to do. So here's a time of stress for him. Uh, people were getting kind of pushy about this thing and they wanted him to step up and be the Messiah of their dreams and take over the Romans. But that wasn't um, the nature of his kingdom. So if we go out to invest that time with the Lord, that's how we get more grace to face the decisions, to face the circumstances. What did we say? People, things, circumstances. Worry about people, things, circumstances. That's where we get the answers. That's where we get the grace to be able just to keep on going if we need just to keep on going in a situation that we can't change. So here is Jesus, and He is uh, coming toward the end of His earthly ministry. And all the way through, we're seeing that his strategy is to get out there on the mountain and get with the Lord. Can you do it in 20 minutes? That's a good thing, I think, to have a 20-minute daily devotion time. That's a real good idea. But I'm suggesting that at some point, we need that time with the Lord, that unhurried time where we can think about things, where we can listen, and where we can project into the future based on what God may have told us in the past. Now, I would say that this is more difficult for ladies than it is for men. But I think it's more important for men as spiritual leaders in the home, in the church, so forth, to be doing this. Uh, Men don't have to fix the meals, take care of the babies, all those things typically. So men do have jobs. But we have to figure, what's our priority? Is it to invest some time with the Lord? If you did it once a year, that would be once a year. If you did it once a month, that would be 12 times a year. Maybe it's an afternoon. Maybe it's a morning. Maybe it's an early morning where you get up early and just invest that time with the Lord. For the ladies, it's good to have some time with the Lord. But um, you might have to do it the way Yvonne does at 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm not recommending that as a long-term schedule. But just to get that time to be able to think things through, to be able to lift up everything in prayer, uh, to be able to get the joy that comes from being in the presence of the Lord. Well, we come down to the last one, and this is Luke 22. We're going to read verses 39, and we're going to skip to verse 41, and we'll see what's going on here. This would be Luke 22, 39. Okay, there are the 
two verses that we mentioned, 39 and 41, he went out as was his wont in the King James, W-O-N-T. What is that? That was the usual. That was his custom to go out to this place. We know that Judas knew about that. We're told in the Gospel of John, Judas knew exactly where he was because he went out there all the time. And what he went out there for was to pray. He had been out there on the Mount of Olives every evening that week while he was teaching there in the temple. So he went out to pray as was his custom. Listen to verse 40, the verse that we skipped there. He said to them, that's the disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think he put that verse in there for me because I'm the one that needs to be praying instead of sleeping just like those disciples on that occasion. Now sometimes we're not sleeping physically, but we may be sleeping spiritually. And we may not see the spiritual danger that exists in our culture or what's going on in our nation, Washington, D.C., all these crazy things that we hear almost weekly now. But if we are awake and alert spiritually, we can be ready. But that may take some time to listen. Just listen to the Lord. Hard for Americans to listen. We might listen to the Super Bowl or something, but just listening to God, uh, that's a challenge. So here's what the speaker was talking about, this missing ingredient. He said, get your Bible, a pen, a notebook, perhaps a book that you've been reading, head out to a quiet place and invest some time with the Lord. If you enjoy uh, God's creation, uh, go out there. Go out in your backyard if it's a quiet place where you can get away for a while. That's the time when you get your spiritual batteries charged. That's the time when you get the power and motivation to do things that God has called on us to do. What about it? Do you have to have this to live to live the abundant Christian life? Well, I don't know. Uh, Christ certainly had it, and He had it all the time. And if He had the model of the abundant Christian life, it looks like something that I need to plug in, that I need to program. I certainly need my daily uh, quiet time, devotion time. I need to be studying the Word. But this is a little longer time. You can modify your schedule to suit your needs on that. Now, I want to close up by um, giving you just a little word of testimony about how that worked. I decided when I heard that speaker long years ago, maybe 40 years ago, I heard him say that and I thought, maybe that's what I need. I know I need some kind of boost here, a spiritual boost. And so I'm going to try that. So I had Vaughn take me down the highway there south of Birmingham and in those days, nothing down there. And she took me out to Oak Mountain and put me out. And I climbed up on the top to a place that overlooked a beautiful panorama of the valley below. There's kind of a cliff there. And I had my backpack and I had my Bible and my notebook and everything just like this guy said. And I was uh, plugging in all the factors in the formula. And I sat down and leaned back against a tree. And it was just a beautiful setting. Very quiet. You couldn't hear anything except the sounds of nature. And I opened up my Bible and I went to sleep because I was worn to a frazzle. And I had a pretty good nap. But when I woke up, the afternoon had slipped away and I hadn't gotten anything done on my to-do list. And I had a burden of guilt because now I was further behind 
And I shot up a few quick prayers and I was down the mountain to meet Yvonne and that was it. And I thought, I don't have time for experimentation on these things. I don't know if I'm going to try this again. But I thought, uh, well, I will try it one more time next Wednesday. Same time, same place, climbed up the same mountain, got up there on top of the cliff where I could see everything and put my back against that tree and I couldn't keep my eyes open. And just as consciousness was beginning to fade, the Lord appointed a serpent. And it was a big black serpent. And it climbed up over the cliff right in front of me. The cliff was about where Nanny Rose was sitting and the tree was about right here. And uh, that snake crawled up and it crawled right in front of my feet and then back down over the cliff. By that time, you can imagine, I was wide awake. The adrenaline was pumping. The Lord knows how to get your attention when He wants your attention. All I could think of was, what if I'd been asleep and that snake had crawled up in my lap? That would have been a terrible experience for me. So I was tuned in. I got my Bible. I started praying. I started thinking about things. And that began a series of investments that I found I had to have to make it in the ministry. That's continued on through the years. I would have to say that's been the mainstay of my spiritual life. There have been many other things and times of study and uh, good times, but uh, being there, I, I love to be out in God's creation, and being out there was the thing that carried me through. And it was also the time when I got my best creative ideas with regard to ministry, with regard to the family, with regard to anything that was going on. Well, one Monday I was out praying. This was back in Alabama. And there was a place over on Beaver Mountain where the family knew I would be if they needed me. And so sometimes members of the family would come up there and pray with me. And this time, uh, Lucy came up. And Lucy was in tears because she didn't know what was coming next in her life. She was 19 years old. And a lot of her friends were going off to the University of Alabama and Auburn, and everybody would ask, you know, well-wishers, well, what are you going to do? And you got to have a good answer or you just don't feel right about it. So she came up to pray, and oh, we were crying out to the Lord that day. What do we do next? What do we tell people? And she was uh, crying literally, and I was crying out figuratively, but it was an intense time there on the mountain. So we prayed and we just asked the Lord to show us exactly what He wanted us to do. And I knew what I had in mind for Lucy. I wanted her to have something that she knew how to do that she could carry on into the family so that we, when she had children, she could be doing the same thing at home that she'd be doing out somewhere else if that's what the Lord wanted her to do. So uh, she went down the mountain and I finished my prayer and I came back. And that week, some amazing things happened. First of all, she was interested in art and calligraphy, and she got a call that she had been finally included in an art class of a famous artist there in Alabama that she had signed up for, I guess, more than a year before, but she was in the class now, and she really loved that class and profited from it. Well, she had a piano teacher that was about like her grandmother, an older lady who was a concert pianist, I believe studied at Juilliard or one of the conservatories. And this lady that week said, Lucy, you need some elementary piano students. 
and I'll help you with this. You can teach at the little Methodist church right next door to my house, and I'll take you down to the music company and get you an account and get you set up there. And if you have any problems, you just come over here and I'll help you with it. And here are the people who are looking for piano lessons that I don't have time to teach. So she had a full roster of piano students. Then she went on uh, Wednesday afternoon to uh, something called kinder music. Little bitty kids get together and they beat on pots and pans and do all these things that have to do with music. And so our teacher said, uh, Lucy, I've got too many students and I've got a whole bunch of little brothers and sisters that need to be in an elementary kinder music class and I want you to take the class, if you will, and uh, you can do it here at my house. Got all the instruments, everything ready to go. And here's the roster. And both of these, see, were paying jobs. These were paying customers. And so that week I got a call from a guy who had been a counselor at our church camp, but he now had a Ph.D. in Christian education, and he was opening up an inner city school for students in Birmingham. And he said, yeah, come on down here and visit us. I'm going to show you what we've got. And this, uh, this school was um, big news in the community. It had all kind of business people behind it and everything. So I went down and he said, now, Bob, why don't you come down and lead the chapel program and then teach character training in the different classes uh, during, the, during the day and just come down here one day and you take the whole day. Well, I thought about that and I said, well, what if I bring my daughter with me? She could help me to do that. And he said, oh, you bring anybody you want to bring. Just come on down and do it. So uh, Lucy and I would get up early in the morning on uh, one of the days in the week and we would pack our lunch and we would go down to the school. And that was quite an education for us in the school there. Most of those children didn't have fathers and uh, just a lot of other things that we could talk about. But it was a great time for us of learning, of teaching, and it was a whole lot of fun. Then we would go over to the botanical gardens or somewhere and have our picnic lunch and talk about everything in the world. And then Lucy would teach her piano lessons and kinder music. And then late that afternoon, we'd get in the car and drive back home out in the country. We had plenty of time to talk, talk, talk. Uh, young ladies like to talk. And I like to talk too. And so uh, we were just praising the Lord in one week. God had really answered that prayer. Well, Lucy, what are you doing? Well, I'm teaching music. I'm teaching kinder music. I'm teaching in a Christian school. I uh, hear all these things that God had provided. But, you know, that wasn't really the main thing that God was up to. God always has a purpose behind our purpose. And as I think about it, God's purpose was to get me with my daughter because girls need their daddies, don't they? And it was to get her with me because dads need their daughters and especially at that age in life where a lot of decisions are coming up. So that began a four-year period of traveling and teaching and visiting and all those things. And that relationship carried us right on through. So here's what I believe with all my heart. If I hadn't been out there on the mountain crying out to the Lord, I might have missed something. And I certainly didn't want to miss that. Really, I didn't want to miss anything that God might have for me. So it's the abundant life, the old-fashioned way, the way Christ lived it. What about you today? Do you have some priorities coming up here? Decision-making? Intense ministry? I know some of you people have intense ministry because you're out there ministering. 
stress and exhaustion, well, make it the usual. Just investing that time with the Lord. Now, how do you do it? Well, you can do it in many different ways. You can come to the church here. Church is open most of the week. It's a quiet place. We're happy to have you come. Sit down in the sanctuary. You can uh, get out on the hill somewhere. Uh, you can do it in your own home. But uh, we need that time. Now, uh, some of you dads, if you're interested in how to invest a day with the Lord, you certainly don't get out there and just pray for 13 hours. I'm not talking about that. But there are some things that you can do that kind of pave the way in this application of the means of grace. So anybody that's interested in that, I've got some lists here. We don't have time to go all over that. But I'm encouraging you to find a quiet place, get to that place, find manna for your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have called us to Yourself and that You invite us to come to You to uh, pour out our hearts to You in prayer, to listen to what You would tell us through Your Word. And Lord, we confess we live busy lives. But we know that uh, You would like for us to seek first Your kingdom and even to seek You. And I pray that You would give us creative ideas and ways of doing that. I pray for mothers especially and for young ladies. Uh, Lord, I know they need this time with You, but they have busy schedules, daily routines of things that they have to do. I pray that they might be creative in finding that time. Uh, Lord, I thank You for sending that man who came to our church to speak. Uh, it didn't seem to be a real dynamic message, but... Uh, it has certainly paid great dividends in my life. So we ask for your guidance. We pray, Lord, that we might be storing up the spiritual capital in our lives before the times of real challenge and real stress might come. We ask, Lord, that we might see revival in this nation and that we might see things turned around, that we might even see reformation. Uh, Lord, begin that revival in us, we pray. And we thank you for this time to look into your word. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.